Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho? What is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life. Mm-hmm. And you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlin. Hello and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest. Dwayne England, Tommy Donlin. Finally. Healthy this week. <laughs> Healthy this week. Yeah, you got small sick. kids, man. I know. Uh, they bring home everything. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I was telling you uh, years back when the boys were small, it was like, are you serious? We're sick again? Yeah, it's like, right. what are they well, bringing like, home? Up until this year, I haven't had a stomach virus yeah. for however many years. Right. Six, seven years. Right. Yeah. Well, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to fatherhood. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Nice to have you back, buddy. Glad you yeah, made it down here. And uh, we got a great show on tap. Glad all of you could join us this evening. Uh, welcome to the show. If it's your first time, if you're joining us here on Root Sports, want to thank you for that. Uh, check out all our social media platforms if you have not. Go to www.fishhuntnw.com. That's going to link you to all our social media platforms, first of all, but also lots of insightful information, good blogs on there with a number of topics. And of course, the FHN20 coupon, click on that. It's going to take you right to the Edge Rods webpage. All Edge Rods that are not currently under another reduced pricing, uh, 20% off at checkout by simply applying FHN20. And then, of course, the Phelps Game Fish Hunt 10 at checkout will get you all Phelps Game calls 10% off for the entire year. So, with that, Tommy, we got a very busy show. Uh, one thing I've been tracking here as of late is the the Springer dam counts and the, the catch rates and the things. Andy Walgamont, as he always does over there at uh, Northwest Sportsman Magazine, wrote up a nice article, kind of summarized what was going on. So um, some of the numbers that came out kind of caught me off guard. They're indicating that we caught 2,900 plus a few uh, mm-hmm. Spring Chinook in the Columbia um, with a pretty aggressive 42,900, almost 43,000 angler trips. That's a lot of trips. They're saying we caught 2,900 fish. Yeah. Okay. Found that kind of interesting. Commercial landings through April 15th, 1,168. Yeah, and I think what you're alluding to is it sure didn't feel like 2,900. It really did not. No, not at all. Uh, With the the barrage of sea lions and then the overload of smelt, (sighs) right? Just (laughs) tough, really tough fishing conditions. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about you know, how many of these fish are actually making it over Bonneville, right? Because that's, uh-huh. that's kind of a, that's a data point we have. It's a good indicator, right? It is. So as of today, we've had 1,096 fish over the dam. You go, okay, great. Like, well, what does that really what mean? What does it mean? Right? Mm-hmm. Well, when you look at that, that 10-year average, yeah. right, by now, 
we typically see about 3,700 fish. Yeah. Right. That's the average. Yeah. Coming over the dam. So we're we're short of that. And then you may say, okay, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that the fish aren't here or they're just laid mm -hmm. or they're being picked off by sea lions, right? Well, the 10-year average, okay, um, in terms of when that run completes over Bonneville, mm -hmm. by about April 16th, you've only achieved about 2%. So sure. it's still really early in the run, and it's hard to draw any conclusions from what we've seen so far. We're a couple thousand below yeah. the 10-year average on a forecast of 317,000, which is one of the highest we've had in the last, I forget, 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. So it's concerning, but the water temperature on average for the last five years is two degrees. It's carrying daily two degrees lower. Right. And yeah. the 12 million you know, tons of smelt or whatever that came in the river is yeah. kind of a blockade. So we got some factors kind of weighing in on possibly delaying these springers actually arriving. Yeah. Um, I still find it hard to believe we caught 2,900, but perhaps we did 40, almost 43,000 trips. You might, right. you might scratch out almost 3,000 fish. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you would hope so. Yeah. Anyway, the pinniped issue is completely out of control. It's unreal. It's amazing. More. It's flooding social media. Oh, it's yeah. on, yeah, there's videos everywhere. You know, yeah. there's 200, in excess of 200 right there at the little spit island that comes off of the mouth of Khaled's. Right. Yeah, there's typically sea lions there, but we're talking like a monstrous right. uptick in yeah. volume of sea lions in the Kalama, in yeah. the Lewis, in right. all tributaries. Completely out of control. And it's not like one or two dogs. I mean, you're, you're seeing oh, no. hordes yeah. of sea lions in the river system. Look, in 2015 yeah. or 16, they documented the fact that 45% of the Spring Chinook run from the estuary water at the mouth of Columbia to Bonneville was decimated by pinnipeds. 45%. Right. Right. The population increase now in the last seven years mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the Columbia is, I mean, who knows, right? right. Who knows? So yeah. anyway, we could go on this for hours, but we got too much to get to. So uh, let's do this. Let's run on down the show of what we got going on. Hey, opening day of trout season is this Saturday. WDFW annual derby also kicks off uh, with that on the 22nd with the opener. Uh, how to win in some historical data. We're going to walk you through that. Also, turkey update in the woods with Eric Broughton, our buddy Eric, who we'll be hunting with next week. Uh, how good is the start to this season in turkey hunting? Well, Eric's going to give us a up-to-date update as of today and the birds that they put down. Um, also, updates on the Lapush Lincoln Derby. Tommy, we got a little bit of change going on there. Ocean conditions are not favorable. What does that mean? And then we're going to welcome back guest Mark Iwasa, WDFW Communications Manager. Regional Roundup coming off of North of Falcon. Hey, in the saltwater, Tommy, what do we get? Uh, bait Lab, gonna jump in there, show you guys some quick down and dirty ideas of what you could do with some bait options for trout. Closing out the show, hey, if you haven't heard, Washington Wildlife First has filed a lawsuit against WDFW, the commission, Director Suswin, the whole ball of wax. Also, I got some interesting data on fish trap for Wainucci, mm -hmm. steelhead information, that's pretty compelling. Hopefully we get a season going into 23-24. Lots to get to this evening, so glad you could join us. We're gonna jump out for a quick break, we'll be back after this, right here, Fish Out Northwest. Defiance Marine is the one-stop shop for the Pacific Northwest Angler. Defiance Marine guarantees the best price on a new and best service on a repower for your current boat. Defiance Marine is a Honda Premier dealership and one of the largest on the West Coast. Defiance Marine is a boat dealer who proudly sells Defiance, Allied, and Arima boats. All boats are built by West Coast fishermen for West Coast fishermen. Defiance Marine has all your boating needs to help you get out on the water. 
If you're looking for the best fishing rods in the world, you really do need to take a look at the edge rods. I designed and built new machinery, and I think this new machinery has enabled us to build blanks like no other company can build without this equipment. There is no other rods in the world that are as good as these rods. You owe it to yourself to take a good look at them. All right, welcome back here in Studio Fish on Northwest. Tommy, if you didn't get the memo, Saturday is opening day of Lowland Lakes and officially kicks off trout season. That's right. Fishing yes, season, indeed. right? Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of folks look forward to this, man. It's kind of a rite of passage, a little you know, family history, lots of, uh, lots of hoopla. And, um, it also kicks off, we're going to jump right to this, it also kicks off the annual WDFW season-long trout derby, yep. which starts opening day this year, April 22nd, goes all the way to October 31st. And you have the opportunity to win prizes, like thousands of dollars worth of prizes, based on these tagged fish that they put out there. Catch a tagged fish. Now, to find out all the information about this, go to www.wdfwderby.com. How does this work? Well, here's a quick little video to give you a little insight. It's time to go fishing and win big with the annual WDFW Trout Derby. We're giving away hundreds of prizes. It's easy and free for licensed Washington anglers. Just go fishing at one of the 100-plus rainbow trout stock lakes in Washington. Then catch a blue tag fish and check your tags online to see what you want. Next, claim your prize. It could be gear, tackle, gift cards, and more. This year, get outside and win big. Plan your trout derby adventure today at WDFWDerby.com. So there you go, just that simple. Uh, fish and participating lakes, all 2023 Trout Derby lakes uh, to find near you. Simply go to the website and click on your location. It's going to tell you if a lake in your That's proximity right. actually had fish planted. Yeah. You can fish wherever you want. Sure. But if you want a, a chance at you know catching one of these trout that has a blue tag, again, that mm -hmm. tag is right near the dorsal fin. Yep. You're going to see it. So any trout you catch, make sure you look you know, number one, and then you keep the tag, right? Yep, um, yep. And then what you do with that tag, if you go to the webpage, uh, wdfwderby.com, there's Correct. gonna be a form on that page, right? And you will write down, there's a number on the tag, so mm -hmm. you'll write down the number, your contact information, the date, and yes, the lake you caught it at, it's not a secret, so don't worry about it, they're not gonna <laughs> propagate your information, but you gotta tell them where you caught it. Yeah, you have to indicate, yep. Yeah. Um, so with that information, then they're going to run it through their, uh, checker and they'll go, oh yeah, that's an authentic tag number. Uh, they're going to get you a phone number and you can call the business to claim your prizes, right? So yeah. here at, uh, Summit Lake, we actually, because the lake is pretty good size and we've done this now for the third year, we have five fish that'll be five or six fish will be put in Summit Lake with a blue tag. You catch it, you go to the website, you fill out the form, uh, it's going to give you the number to the business and we authenticate. I have all the numbers of the tags. And so we can have that phone conversation. Then we're going to prize you up with uh, several hundred dollars worth of FHN swag. And uh, Shing has all that picked out and, you know, different uh, allotments, different groups and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's well worth uh, putting in a little effort if you get one of those tagged fish to call the business and see what you may or may not get. That's and right. If you're there at that lake, the business is typically close proximity. So before you leave town mm -hmm. or, you know, within, if it's, you know, close to home or whatnot, you're going to be able to get your stuff. It might take a day or two, but it's a, uh, it's a good thing to do. And you get the kids out and you can win some prizes and uh, no reason not to. So um, a few stats revolving around opening day, Tommy. Yeah. So this is uh, 
these are some really good numbers. Um, it really puts into perspective the economic impact and, you know, trout fishing is really kind of central yeah. around that because everybody has an opportunity. Um, yearly, there are roughly 963,000 licenses sold every year. In Washington in State. In Washington State. Okay, so now this. That's almost a million, right? Yeah. Population yeah. is 7.5 million. Right. That's, so that's pretty one seventh of the state right. potentially right. is fishing, right? Now, here's the economic impact. Yeah. That generates $55.9 million to the of state. revenue to the mm -hmm. state, mm -hmm. okay, which is huge, right? That is nice, yeah. And, um, you know, and if, here's the other thing, right? On opening day of trout, which is probably the most fished opener mm -hmm. that we have in the state, yeah, you get anywhere from 300,000 to 350,000 participants right. just fishing that opener. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge influx of folks hitting yeah. the water, putting boats on trailers and getting out there and, you know, giving it a go. So um, for a lot of us growing up in the Northwest and Washington State, whatnot, that trout opener is synonymous with us catching our first fish. Mm -hmm. A lot of little kids catch that first trout, their first right. fish, their, their step into the, uh, the fishing addiction for the rest yeah, of their lives right. is, is kind of gathered in that weekend. So um, WDFW has stocked 15.2 million trout statewide throughout all the lakes that they stock for opening day. And you can simply go to uh, Google, Google WDFW stocking reports, stocking trout reports. You're gonna find if lakes near you have been stocked and it actually mm -hmm. gives you the dates when they're stocked right. and uh, how many fish they put in, actually even what size of fish. If you got some jumbo fish going in, it's gonna tell you at the webpage. So yeah. lots of information there, WDFW, go to fish stocking reports, you're gonna get all that stuff. Looking forward to opening day. Get the kids out, have a great time. All right, we're gonna jump out for a quick break. <clears throat> when we come back, our buddy Eric Broughton from the Turkey Woods with updates of what was going on today and an update on how the season has started off. Don't go anywhere, be back right after this, right here, Fish on Northwest. Allied, the new leader in heavy gauge aluminum boats. Allied boats have standard reverse china and lifting rakes to help you plane faster and run at lower RPMs. Allied boats have several models to choose from, ranging from a 19-foot Mustang all the way up to a 32-foot Liberator. So regardless of what type of heavy gauge aluminum boats you are looking for, Allied Boats will have it for you. Contact Allied Boats today to learn more about these incredible fishing machines. All right, welcome back here at Fishing Northwest, Wayne England. Tommy Dolan, and welcome back our buddy Eric Broughton. Uh, Eric is admin at Washington State Wild Turkey Hunting Club on Facebook if you follow him. And if you don't, you should because a whole lot of activity going on that page as of late there, uh, Tommy. Eric, how you doing tonight, buddy? Good. How are you guys? Hey, we're good. We're good. Looks like you are somewhere close proximity to some turkeys, and I know you actually put one down this morning. So uh, does that make you got both your birds now already? I do. Yeah. I do. It's been a phenomenal season. Uh, the birds are pretty active. I'm I'm all the way up here by Canada right now, up oh, wow. by Northport. Um, a lot of these birds are still in. They're just starting to break up in their flocks, but. Uh, I was in Lincoln County on opener and got a, got lucky and got one on opening day and uh, opening morning and got a nice tom. So and then uh, had my son come up, Logan, and I called in two birds for him uh, the last two days and then I got one this morning. So we got four birds with the four ten, and uh, <laughs> perfect. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's uh, couldn't ask for any better. That that's so. pretty hard to beat. 
I've gotten some no reports, reports already that uh, it sounds like there's quite a few birds up in the northeast part of the state. Uh, can you validate that report, Eric? What are you seeing, and are you seeing lots of toms out there too? Yeah, it's a it's true. There's a lot of lot of birds on public and private. The, I took a guy out uh, about an hour before this broadcast, and we got one up here on some DNR. Huh. His his first uh, tom. So I mean, it was uh, it was actually a really fun hunt, but. The birds are just breaking up up here. Um, so you're seeing a tom with like six hens. So those big winter flocks are just starting to break up. Down in Lincoln County and down in the south part of the state, um, the birds are broken up even more. We're starting to see some single hens in the afternoons, which means they're starting to possibly lay. So those afternoon hunts are gonna be pretty key on uh, trying to get, get on those toms. Um, but uh, up here, it's a little bit slower. Winter's just starting to get out of here. Uh, there's still snow up in the mountains, so the turkeys are still lower, but they're breaking up and lots of goblin. Uh, been on, I don't know how many turkey hunts, you know, in the last three days, but it's just been a lot of fun. Huh. So it's relatively early. We're the first week of the general opener. Looks like, it sounds like, quite a bit of bird activity. As you said, they're breaking out from their flocks. You got the toms strutting around and corralling their hens. So let's talk a little bit about early season calling, uh, Eric. Do hunters still need to be cognizant of, you know, they, they can in fact overcall still at this point if they're too aggressive? Or how are the birds responding from what you've seen this first week as you've been out there? Yeah, so that so early in the season, you have lots of toms, right? That pecking order. Yeah. So the, so the dominant toms have the hens. And when you're calling, um, I like to be a little aggressive because there's a lot of these satellite toms um, that, you know, aren't as dominant. Like the, they're kind of like the raghorn bull, right? right they right. they gonna come in and try to get those hens. And so those are the ones you're going to kill. So a lot of those these birds in this first two weeks are two-year-old birds that aren't dominant enough to hold the hens down. And, and those are the ones that the guys are getting. So... No, it's it's a lot of fun to see that they're pretty aggressive. So a lot of a lot of aggressive aggressive yelps, a lot of cutting, a lot of you know excitement uh, is what I like to do this early. And then once they start getting you know sitting on the nest here later in the season, it's a little bit more subtle type stuff, more afternoon hunting. You can get more aggressive, but uh, yeah, hit hit the calls. Yeah. <clears throat> So what do you what do you like better, Eric? Do you do you like it when they're in these you know kind of their winter flocks? You know they're they're big. There's there's maybe a hundred turkeys, or do you like it once they've broken it up and then you can kind of, you know, you're not you're not trying to hunt one bird out of two hundred. You're trying to hunt one out of seven or one out of eight. What talk a little bit about that and maybe is there a difference in the calling between those two setups? Yeah, so your your big winter flocks, you have so many eyeballs, and so you know a lot of those types of setups. You're going to want to be where they like to congregate and try to put a lot of decoys out, maybe a blind, kind of like the youth season this year. And what, there are still some areas that, you know, you see, we had one field the other day with 50 birds in it. Oh, wow. And so lots of birds, you know, six or seven strutters out there, but they all kind of do their morning thing and then they dissipate and a some few toms will take some hens and then the, the off they go, you know. But uh, when later in the year, you know, when you have the, that one tom with six hens, I like to just kind of cover a lot of ground and to find that one, that one Tom that might only have one hen or maybe he just dropped a, a hen off at the nest, or maybe, you know, <laughs> he's more uh, enabled to come to the call. So right. yeah. um, you just want to cover lots of ground. So don't, don't always just stick to one spot. 
you know, there's lots of turkey, so cover lots of ground. You're going to have to put some gas in the truck, but, I mean, it's going to be worth it. So. Right. Well, uh, definitely uh, Matt and I are looking forward to getting over there with you here this next week. Uh, always look forward to that hunt with you. It's, uh, it's uh, active. We move around a lot. Um, you're out there with your, uh, with your locating call and sound like an overzealous, uh, woodpecker and screaming in the woods. So yeah, I can't wait. Going to be fantastic and looking forward to bringing some great video content back to our folks here, uh, a week or two afterwards. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, appreciate you jumping on tonight, buddy. I know you're busy and uh, always good to get updates with you. Looking forward to it. See you guys soon. All right, buddy. Take care. Eric Broughton, yep. uh, if you haven't followed him again, go to, uh, Washington state wild turkey hunting club and uh, he is there in interactive often in giving a lot of advice helping folks catch catch get a lot of turkeys all right gonna jump out for a quick break don't go anywhere we'll be back here right after this sportco and outdoor emporium is the largest local outfitter in the northwest since 1975 providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear this summer Make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse-style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer, offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. Hey guys, I'm Big Mike. Come on down to the Edge Pro Shop and see me. We've got all the best brands under one roof. We've got Hawken, Procure, Short Bus, Pro Troll, Yakima Bait, Get em Dry Jigs, Northwest Bait Scent, Daiwa Reels, North Fork Lures, North Wild, Brad's, Superfly, Rocky Mountain Tackle, and of course, the greatest rods ever built, Edge Rods. All right, welcome back to the show here to Wayne England, Tommy Donlin, and welcoming back to the show... Longtime friend of ours, Tommy, Mark Uwasa, now communications manager at WDFW. Uh, we got Mark on the phone this evening. Zoom wasn't a possibility, so here you go. Old school, Mark, we got you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. Glad to be on the show. Yeah, Absolutely. Glad to have you. Welcome back. So, hey, we're going to do a little regional roundup with you as we've done in the past because you do such a great job at it. Why don't you give us kind of a lowdown of what came out of North of Falcon? Uh, as it pertains to Puget Sound, sounds like we got a few glimmers of hope and uh, a few, of course, you know, areas that still struggle. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag, you know, and I think anglers will be happy. We'll see something pretty similar to what we had last year with some other added caveats, right? I mean, you got pink salmon this year. Looks like we're going to have a, you know, rather robust number of coho coming back. So, you know, that that mitigated some changes to some marine areas where we'll see some you know, a little more liberal uh, seasons. And so, yeah, it, it should be exciting for anglers to look forward to this, this summer and early fall. So uh, go ahead and let's uh, let's run on through it. Um, on those openers, <laughs> area 9, area 10, area 7, kind of give us a breakdown of where and when and uh, what, what we're actually getting. Yeah, yeah. First off, let's, you know, obviously, you know, you got your obvious one, right? You got the bubble fishery. That's one of the first places that opens for migratory fish. Mm -hmm. And Tulalip opens uh, May 26th. That season runs through at September 5th with another little window from the 9th to the 24th of September. And folks need to remember that that fishery is open like Fridays to Mondays only. Yeah, you know, right. it's a terminal fishery, right? So, guys, you know, it's a, it's a jigging fishery or it's a trolling fishery, one or the other. And uh, usually early mornings are best. So um, that kind of starts things off. But then I think what get, gets me most excited this year is um, 
we're going to see Central Puget Sound Marine Area 10 opening on June 1st. You know, last year was a little two-week delay in that fishery yep. for those uh, resident coho. So that should, that should have folks, you know, gearing up to get an early start for those. And coinciding with that, you'll have South Central Puget Sound Marine Area 11 opening on June 1. And the thing that really gets me excited for those, if you recall last year, we had a three-day season there. Yeah. But that quota last year was only 580 fish. <laughs> this year, Chinook quota is, what, 1,423? Yeah. So, you know, you've got, you've got a more liberal quota there, so hopefully that stretches things out. Um, yeah, those are, those are kind of the first places to kind of look at for fishing. And I, you know, I think it's just the, the beginning of, of what you'll see in June, um, you know, later on in June, you obviously you got the coastal places opening up as well. So, you know, June kind of is that marker to, Hey, get out on the water, get your boat going and get out there and catch some fish. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah. So I always look to the ocean first, Mark, <laughs> yes, personally. But, um, yeah, we know you, Tommy. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I mean, I am extremely happy. You know, a lot of our good friends put in a lot of hard work. You know, Dave Johnson and company at yep. the North of Falcon um, effort, season-setting effort. And um, I am really happy with what I'm seeing so far. Do you want to break it down for us? Tell us what you're seeing. Yeah, well, that season, you know, this year in, in marine areas 4, 3, 2, and 1, which is obviously near Bay La Push, Westport, and Owaco, they all open up here uh, beginning, uh, well, at least near Bay and La Push open June 17th, and that'll be followed by Owaco and Westport opening on June 24th. You know, those fisheries will run daily up until September 30th until their quotas are met. And, you know, you've got some good quotas down there this year, especially for coho. You know, and, and we should see some, hopefully, some good king fishing as well. Um, you know, one of the nice things, too, is those guys um, who usually head down from Westport or up from Milwaukee off towards that Wolf of Bay area this year is that control zone will be open, too. So that's something else to kind of look forward to this summer. That, that area was closed last summer. Right. And that kind of puts a little wrench in folks' options, you know, off the ocean there. So that's a nice little caveat. And I'll be really curious to see what the commercial troll guys do when that season opens up here on May 1st. I always say that's like a marker for me to kind of see what the ocean is doing between now and when the sport guys get a chance to go in. So we'll see what they do. Yeah. Well, um, I as well am looking forward to that Area 11 June 1 opener for Chinook. And I know everybody that has a last name you also or rhymes with you also <laughs> and has a mooching rod in hand, yeah. Tommy, will be out of Point Defiance and chasing those buggers on those tides. And, uh, you know, um, you mentioned, Mark, that, that that quota last year was just so minor. And we, you know, we railed through that thing in a short order. But that's mm-hmm. because the fishing was good, right? I mean, the fishing was good. And so we get a June 1 opener Area 11 coincides with 10, so some folks will stay up there in 10 and chase those resident coho, but right. that opportunity there in 11, um, let's talk about that a little bit, maybe a couple technique points on folks that may struggle because there could be some decent Chinook to be had just in that little opportunity we have there with those 1,400 fish. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, one of the things with that fishery, too, is, you know, the doggies are usually there, the dog yeah. fishery is there, and they're thick, so... A lot of guys will switch over to jigs, and, and I'm one of them, you know, and, you know, making sure you got braided line on so there's no, you know, no give versus mono, you know, using a, a Point Wilson dart, the P-line laser minnows, you know, even a Dungeness stinger um, or a crippled herring. Those all work really well, and I moved away from just a single hook on there, too. You know, I, 
I now learned how to feed a mooching leader through there mm-hmm. and putting bumpers on each side of that jig. So that hook, those tandem hooks uh, spin freely down below it. Right. And that seems to be really effective on those fish. You know, you kind of separate the fight from the from the jig itself once those salmon are hooked that's right and and, and it, it it could be lights out and i think that's a good tip for folks you know and another thing i do have to say is you know it's funny on that opener last year we zipped right past those guys in 11 because we heard 13 was good yeah. and you know gibson and those places are some other places not to overlook right so you know if that fishery shuts down early head south too for some other options that's a good tip mark have you ever tried an assist hook on your jigs like one up top and then one down below what's that i'm sorry what was that again have you ever tried using an assist hook on your jig so you put one at the top of the jig near the eye and then one towards the tail end no i've never done that but you know usually what i do is i just shorten up those two tandems on the bottom and that's how i usually fish them so yeah no maybe i have to try that out one of these days yeah (laughs) no no, i like i like that method too because you know when you when you hook a fish right and you're solid tied to the to the jig and then the hook and then the fish yeah that fish is going to use that jig against you right. to try to get that yep. hook out of its mouth. And, yep. and with the system that Mark has, the slider, they just it, the weight slides away. Fish can shake his head all he yep. wants, but he's not going <laughs> to. This is true. <laughs> yeah, hook up the land ratio goes up exponentially. Yeah, I've talked to a number of folks starting to run that slider uh, rig and in variations of that, and they seem to be a lot more successful in getting fish in the boat. Right. So. Exactly. Well, I know we've been stuck on June. You want to talk about July and August real quick? Yeah, before we should. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Let's get moving. You bet. We could write a book on this, right? <laughs> yes. No, I. You know, and and that's another thing is you know July. You got Northern Puget Sound area nine opens on July thirteenth to the fifteenth, and I know those are just you know those three day openers similar to last year. You know, and the quota is a little bit down. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's 4,300 this year versus 47 last year, and it was even bigger in 2020. But, you know, I think here again, you know, look ahead towards August, too, is that, you know, it'll reopen on August 1st through the 17th, and then it goes non-select from September 18th to the 31st, right. yep. which I think, you know, those Everett Coho Derby guys are just going to have a ball because they're going <laughs> to have be able to keep any coho up there you know and that's a first so yeah you know i think that's exciting you know and then you got 10 right you, you know kind of the similar situation you know the co- uh, the quota is a little bit down but not by much just mm-hmm. a smidge and that fishery too opens on you know that same time frame so you know and that's open daily so you know it's you know there there's some opportunity up there and hopefully when those kings show that you know it should be lights out for guys and later in june or july sorry yeah, absolutely. All right, let's keep uh, let's keep it on rolling and uh, jump right into August. <laughs> Finish this up with August. Cool. Well, you know, and this is the other thing too is you know maybe we step back really quick, but we forgot the July one openers up in the Straits oh, too. That's and right. PA, yeah. PA's got that big quota this year, right? They have seven thousand two hundred fifty-eight in their quota. So that's up from yeah. six thousand fifty last year. Yeah. You know, and people people tend to just zip right by there and think CQ's it. You know, and I love CQ, mm-hmm. but you know that Eastern Strait, you know, first of July too can be can be bonkers and yeah, folks should folks yeah. should keep an eye on that one and you know and here again those fisheries hopefully will carry right into august like we were talking about mm-hmm. you know all these fisheries hopefully and um yeah we should start seeing those pinks milling in and you know some early coho so 
you know, with 4 million pinks mixed into the fishery. And, you know, it's a great introductory fishery. I always love getting young kids out there, you know, and the guys who don't fish from boats, you know, who don't have the nice boats or the ability to get on a boat can catch those from shore. So right. it, you know, opens up these opportunities for folks and it really builds up the anticipation of what should be a good summer, I'm hopeful. You hurt my feelings, Mark. You didn't even mention tuna anywhere in this discussion. Like I said, right? We that's that's chapter two, right? We can okay. talk all day about right. that one as well. <laughs> Love it. Hey, Mark, you kind of mentioned it. We got almost four million pinks coming back to Puget Sound now. You know, years past when we when we built those pink numbers up in excess north of you know six million fish. We're mm-hmm. looking at those bonus limits. We go out there and fish. You get your two extra, you know, uh, pinks on board. In river fisheries, you got your two extra pinks. I mean, bonus limits right. with a couple of coho, a couple of pinks. Um, do we, you think we have to get back to those types of numbers before we see that bonus fishery come back this year? They're, you know, part of your you know, standard I, two fish limit. I think some of that stems from just the other the other species and, and the limit limiting factors we're seeing for some of them is the reason why we couldn't have that bonus this year. But you know, hopefully, you know, we, we build up that number of, of pinks coming back and we kinda see maybe, you know, if we don't get into those, you know, bad El Nino years again and we keep up this La Nina water with the cool water and we mm-hmm. we see this, you know, better upwelling in the ocean and more of these Chinook and Coho coming back, yeah. I think we could, you know, look at that bonus maybe two years from now. And it seems like, you know, that pink number is, is God. I mean, I saw that Green River number, and it's almost a million fish. Yeah. It's like over 800,000. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the Swally has really uh, on the uptick as well as far as, you know, South Puget Sound. Uh, yeah. It had a huge bump as far as returning pinks this, this coming season. So that's encouraging as well, especially uh, the further we tuck down here to South Puget Sound and we see certain uh, legs of this mm-hmm. uh, on the uptick. That's always encouraging. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hey, and one last thing, too, is Marine Area A2. Kind of forgot about oh, yeah. that, but, you know, last year only half of that area was open, right? That right. boundary line was shut down. Well, this year... It's open August 1, the whole entire Marine Area A2 oh, for, oh, for wow. Go and Pink. Okay. You know, that Browns Bay and all those yeah. areas up north to the Muckleteal Ferry mm-hmm. yeah. should be lights out for guys, both for a nice mix of Coho and Pink. So, Perfect. you know, it's there's a lot to be said for this summer. I'm excited. Yep, lots of opportunity, and uh, nobody can summarize it better than you. So I'm glad you were able to take a little time with us this evening, give us the rundown, hopefully folks uh, – had their notepad out and taking notes, and they can go to the WDFW website and look at all the seasons that have been uh, established now coming out north of Falcon. So um, June, June, we should see it in the reg books. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. And right now we do have the you know the tentative dates already on the website, so guys can kind of yeah. start making plans and looking at that and working off that too. So. Perfect. Yep. I know it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose right now. There's so much going to be happening this yeah, summer. But hey, you know, you, to, you just have to plan to fish yes. every day. You got to be smart, right? Make your plans the right days, yes. pick and choose, and you'll, yep. you should catch some fish, definitely. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, we will look forward to seeing you out there probably in an orange boat, be bopping around Area 11 <laughs> with, a, with a jig rod in your hand from what it sounds like. Right. So fantastic. Sounds Mark. good, guys. Yeah. Appreciate you jumping on with us tonight, buddy. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, great talking to you. We'll yeah. talk to you soon. You bet. Take, Take care. care, Mark. Take care. Mark Uwasa, communications manager there at WDFW. You know, he's bounced around in a number of different job facets throughout the years. Yeah. Always 
within communications and always in the know yeah. on the fisheries and has an avenue to bring the information to the people. And that's why I keep going back to him because he's right. it's phenomenal, right? Yeah, and it's every every opportunity. It's, it's yeah, every it's, it's opportunity. all inclusive. It's every it's all inclusive. Yeah. yeah how about hey, that? Rob Rob Larson had a good comment here. Yeah. Uh, just reminding people, like with those, you know, you're gonna you're gonna net that schnook when you bring it to the boat, not knowing if it's a hatchery fish, you know, clipped or unclipped, right? Um, and you know, his point is like, Hey, if it's, if it's unclipped, you know, you do have to release it and just be gentle handling that fish, right? Don't take it out of the water. <laughs> Try to keep it in the water, get the hooks out as fast as you can mm -hmm. swim it next to the boat if you need to, and then, and then release it, uh, as quickly as possible. So you make sure it gets back to the spawning bed. So yeah, good, good point. We do want yep. those fish to survive and make it to the gravel. That's why we are releasing them. Yep. That's the intent, right? Yep. So good point, Rob. Uh, okay. Going to jump out for a quick break. We come back, going to be in the bait lab couple things to think about in utilization of bait, mm -hmm. little kids, how to make it work in the Bay Lab right here. We come back after this break, Fish on Northwest. All Defiance boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why all boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. All Defiance boats come standard with large fish boxes that are fully insulated so that you can ice your fish properly all day. All Defiance boats are foam flotation filled and unsinkable for the ultimate in safety while fishing offshore. Before you buy any boat, stop by or call Defiance boats today to ensure you are getting the very best glass boat your money can buy. All right, welcome back, Fish on Northwest. We're here in the Bay Lab. Bay Lab brought to you by Sport Co. and Outdoor Emporium. Pretty much everything you see here can be purchased at those locations. So, hey, it's opening day of trout season coming up this Saturday, the uh, 22nd. Utilizing bait for trout and getting, you know, kids out fishing, even small kids, it's a great way to get a lot of, uh, lot of catch in your return as far as, you know, trout-like bait. Yeah, casting spinners and stuff works. There's all kinds of techniques and methods we can deploy. But fishing floating bait off the bottom, like Potsky's fire bait, suspended up off the bottom, it's almost a no-brainer, especially for our lakes that are freshly stocked with aggressive trout. So a couple points to think about in how you rig and how you present that bait so you get it up above the weed line and you're actually putting the bait where the fish are gonna be and uh, you find some success. So the old standard, one, one method, one way of rigging is pretty simple. Uh, here at the table, we got a half ounce egg sinker on my main line. It terminates here against a uh, five uh, or four millimeter bead, which is just simply there to protect the knot on my barrel swivel. I like to use a size seven or 10 barrel swivel, something that's not too big because you actually want the bait to float up and um, if is able to do so, we'll actually continue to pull some line up through that sliding sinker, uh, even elevating the swivel up off the ground, especially when a fish picks it up. This just goes to about a four foot leader uh, on this particular rig to a size 10 or 12 treble hook, okay? Now treble hooks work great for a couple reasons. One, when I'm using uh, something like fire bait, I can take a small amount out of here, Okay, just gonna work this into my hands, make it into a nice round ball. And then with this size 10 or 12 treble hook, uh, this is really the key. We're gonna meld that, mold it right around the treble hook. And I like to make sure I kind of get those barbs exposed out, at least one or two of them. Okay, it doesn't have to be a perfectly round ball, but I find that your hookups are a lot better when you got a little bit of that hook sticking out on the top side of there. And it just takes one, you can maybe get two of them, but now, the key here is to have a large enough piece of bait 
uh, melded around that hook that it's actually going to float the hook up. Okay, and if you're you know, questioning whether or not you have enough bait on there for the first one, just simply toss it in the water when you get it on there and see if it's actually floating at the surface. Then you know about what size bait you need to put on there. Oftentimes we put on, you know, quarter size or bigger, big balls of bait on there. And um, yeah, they float up really well, but they're almost too big for some of these planter fish to go ahead and grab. So it doesn't take much dime size and a round ball on a treble hook and a slip sinker, four foot leader. The other thing you want to do if you're rigging multiple rods, put one leader at four feet, one at five, one at six, let the length of the leader and the height off the bottom that the bait floats up to let you know or indicate to you where the fish are. If the five foot leader continues to get bit, swap all your leaders to five feet and uh, all the kids are catching fish. So pretty simple. The one thing about treble hooks is on small baits like this, those trout can take them all the way in and uh, yeah, you're going to keep the fish because in Washington State, when you catch trout in lakes on bait, you're required to keep those fish. Those treble hooks can be difficult to get out of the throat. Uh, not so much about, you know, ripping the fish apart or whatever to get it out, but more so you, you break your leaders, you cut your leaders, you leave the hook inside, and then you spend a lot of time retying. So another uh, alternative, another method that I've gone to is, um, yeah, rigging a slip sinker. Here's another method of rigging a slip <clears throat> sinker. I have a barrel swivel um, on here. I have a, a uh, pro uh, line lock, which is a slider also. I can use this mini line lock as a sliding device. I clip a, uh, I, I clip a small cannonball weight underneath that, half ounce, three eighths ounce, whatever. And because this slides really well and free, it also is going to allow that, uh, that line to pull through when the fish picks it up. So it's another way of rigging it. You can put the egg sinker on top of the swivel. You can put a line lock, slider line lock, and clip a uh, small cannonball to it. On this one, however, I've actually put a single size eight or 10 single hook. Now, the one thing we know about uh, fire bait or dough baits in general, if you meld them or mold them into a round ball and put it on a single hook and cast it, it's not gonna stay on the single hook uh, very long at all. The water does begin to soften the bait and eventually it'll float right off of the hook, okay? The bait isn't designed to function very well on a single hook. That's why we use the treble hook. But again, treble hooks in the throats of fish means that you're constantly retying uh, your hook. So when I use a single hook, I like to get some of the uh, Mike's spawn netting and some of the uh, Miracle Thread, and I basically tie little uh, bait spawn bags uh, with the mesh. And so this is tied up with, a, with some of the spawn uh, netting with the Magic Thread and a little bit of bait in there. And simply by putting that hook right through the mesh, it stays on there very well and uh, for multiple casts. And because of the size of the bait, it definitely floats that single hook up. Plus I have a lot of hook exposed that typically will hook the fish more out towards the outer uh, portion of the mouth versus deep in the throat. So they're easy to unhook and retain my hook so I don't have to constantly retie. Um, there's just a lot of good reasons, a lot of positives I see as to why I switched to fishing a single hook and taking the time to put the uh, fire bait into the the spawn netting. Now, how easy is this to do? Well, pretty simple. And you have 
multiple colors to choose from. You can mix and match. If I'm using uh, the, the salmon garlic, I'm gonna pull a little bit of this out of here, okay? And again, gonna just put it into a round ball and drop it into the netting. Now I'm just gonna pick up the corners, okay? And mold that around. Give this a couple spins to secure it at the top. Then I just take my magic thread. Now this is an elastic thread. There's no knot tying or anything. We're just gonna basically multi-wrap this. You know, you'll end up doing it uh, eight, 10, 12, upwards of 15 times. You just pull it nice and tight. Every wrap you put on there, you pull tight, break it off of there, okay? Then you're just gonna cut that excess top of the netting off of there. And there you go. That is a, uh, there's, a, there's a bait right there. Now that bait is completely inside that mesh. I can stick that onto a single hook. It's gonna float up, it's gonna last. You can actually catch multiple fish on a single bait. Here's the other thing too. When we're teaching young kids, little kids, how to cast, they typically whip that rod pretty well. They cast pretty aggressively, which is fine. You know, put enough weight on there that they can comfortably cast it and they can, you know, get it out there a decent distance. The problem with uh, floating baits or dough baits historically is once they get wet and you try to cast multiple times, especially when kids are casting pretty aggressively, the bait's gonna fly off. So by putting it in the mesh on a single hook, they can cast and cast and cast and that bait pretty much stays on there multiple times. They can cast it out, retrieve it. Sometimes with little kids, you gotta let them continue to cast the, the rod multiple times because they get bored sitting and waiting for the fish to bite. So for me, there's a lot of positives in why I would take the time to put the dough bait or the fire bait into a, a spawn uh, net. The other thing you can do, I can do this at home. I can put the gloves on, I can do an entire jar and pre-made, pre-tied little spawn bags. So when I'm out fishing with kids, especially if I got multiple kids, I'm trying to keep their lines in the water and keep the bait on so they're catching fish, I can simply open up the jar take a single bait out at a time, hook it on there, and they're fishing. I don't have to worry about getting it all over the hands while I'm out fishing, rolling it. If it's raining and my hands are wet, it sometimes gets a little difficult to mold into a ball. So there's a lot of good reasons to take some time at home prior to opening day, get your jars all prepped up with your uh, fire bait in a spawn bag, and it's gonna fish way more durable. The kids are gonna catch fish and everybody's gonna have a good time. So hopefully that helps you out for opening day, something to think about. Okay, don't go anywhere, gonna jump out for a quick break. We come back, we'll be back in studio, close out the show. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years, Arima boats are manufactured with pride in Bremerton, Washington. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why Arima boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. Arima can offer every boat with Honda outboard packages so that you can take advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. Call or stop by Arima Boats today and let them help you get into your very next boat. All right, welcome back here in studios. We finalize a few topics here tonight, Tommy. Hopefully a few folks could uh, utilize that information there. It's yeah. pretty straightforward, pretty simple, but I'm telling you, you don't have to mess around with doing that bait constantly while you're out fishing, you're yeah, all- Yeah, right, you're more efficient. Yeah, set up yep. to go. It's just, it's a game changer. So, um, all right, couple things. Uh, got a few emails going around this week, Tommy. Email chain, uh, Gabe Miller down at Sportco and a handful of others jumped on board and we were conversing back and forth, so to speak. Uh, Washington Wildlife First, remember that yeah, group? Right. We had Brian Lynn on in December talking about Washington Wildlife first and what their what their mission is what their mantra is and who they're funded by and other 
agencies that they're connected to and really how they're trying to change the way WDFW conducts business, mm -hmm. right? So um, they have filed a lawsuit against WDFW, Director Susswin, Lisa Wood, who is the SEPA coordinator, okay? And then all nine commissioners. Yeah. They're just, they just wrote them all in there. Uh, Wildlife First uh, hereby files a petition to challenge the March 17th, 2023 decision by the uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission where they made the decision and authorized to spend $1 million to purchase the land uh, as part of the movement forward of the pro uh, project on the Deschutes River hatchery. Mm -hmm. So this is the land acquisition that's going to be utilized for the development right. of the hatchery, yep. right? And um, they're challenging on this land purchase. They're saying the department did not conduct an analysis of potential adverse environmental factors, basically the SEPA process. Thereby, that's why Lisa Wood is also named in the lawsuit. So right. not only are they going after us on the game management front of things, yep. now here we are, they're dipping their hand into the lawsuit realm of uh, going after our fish and our hatcheries for right. sure. And so you would think like, well, why, why are they doing this, right? Because it seems like a good thing. We're putting in a hatchery. Um, why would they be trying to prevent that, right? Well, um, you know, for those that remember, we had Brian Lynn on from the Sportsman's Alliance, yep. right? Yep. Talking about... <laughs> this group, Washington Wildlife First, mm -hmm. and, and really kind of explaining to us what the intent of this organization is. And just very plainly put, they want to take a um, conservation model, right? Which is, hey, I want to make sure there's ample numbers of elk uh -huh. and deer and bear, right? And cougars, right? And make sure that everybody's got an equitable playing field in the state of Washington from a, from a wildlife perspective. Right. And to be able to hunt and fish, right, as well as part of that. They wanna take that model that most Western states have used for eons, mm -hmm. and they wanna turn it into a, a preservation model, mm -hmm. which is, well, we're not gonna manage the wildlife at all. It is what it is. If the wolves take over, the wolves take over. The, the, the wildlife is not there uh, as, for, any, for any other reason just to exist, and however it does that. On its own. On its own, that's fine. That's the preservation model. Yeah, you're basically pretending like we're not here. Right. And just let the animals do what they do. The right. problem is we are here. Right. We've been established for a very long time. Yep. We've disrupted their normal day-to-day -day practices and uh, mm -hmm. ways of going about living. They've had to mm -hmm. adjust and adapt. We've forced them into smaller geographical locations yep. whereby you increase predator-prey activity just by default. I mean, you put a bunch of humans in a closed room, things are going to happen, right. Right? right? I mean, you can only tolerate certain things for so long. So we have changed the landscape. We have an imprint. We have an impact. And for them to think that, oh, we just need to leave them alone and let nature do their thing. Ironically enough, there's a handful of commissioners on our current Fish and Wildlife Commission mm -hmm. who kind of also spew out that garbage. That's right. So I found right. it kind of ironic that they're actually suing the commission as well. Right. But they're suing the commission on differences, and they think they didn't fall through with the SEPA. How important is this uh, hatchery as part of the expansion plan moving forward? A lot of this information came out of the ORCA task force, mm -hmm. if we recall, right? So it's part of the overall plan, whereas by they've allocated $250 million dollars for hatchery expansions and um, boasting, boosting the numbers of uh, Chinook smolt going into Puget Sound waters. Right. Uh, this particular watershed, um, this is a uh, this is a 
36.4 million salmon smolts, part of the yeah, orca prey initiative. Um, the plans are proposed for this Deschutes hatchery as a prior prioritized site. Um, mm -hmm. And thereby, this South Sound contribution would bump the numbers in the overall plan by 4 million That's right. Chinook smolt. Substantially. Yeah. So, and it's the, the key word I took away from reading a lot of the stuff on this is it's one of the priority plans. It's, it's been in the works for quite some time. Yeah. Getting through all the hurdles and the things they have to do to actually, at a time when we have so much negativity going after hatcheries. Right. Here we are actually making forward progress yep. to build a new state-of-the-art facility, South Puget Sound, which mm -hmm. is desperately needed. Yeah. Well, and to have everybody on board too, right? Yes. It's not like it was one party or another. This no. is bipartisan, right? Yes. Across the board, this was approved, reviewed. Yep. yep. And so, yeah, for them to come out of the woodworks and say, "Oh, you didn't, you didn't follow the process." If you, if you see, I can just imagine the the actual lawsuit. It probably says, "Oh, chapter eight, section four point one." There's this one little bit about blah blah blah, right? You I, left I think this word just, out. It's, it's a political move to try to to, to to try to slow down hatchery production. I right? think so. Yeah. 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 Again, taking away what it is we like to do. Right. Right. Yep. And at the end of the day, I mean, this does have an impact on survivability of the orcas as well. Yeah. I mean, this is the intent right. of, um, you know. But in a preservationist mindset. The fend for themselves. The, the orcas need to, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we've, uh, we've disrupted that. Don't get me going on the 1972 Marine <laughs> Mammal Protection Act yeah. that we uh, fail miserably to uh, get back into at the Fed level with NOAA, the courts, right. whatever the hell it's gonna take to make change in that regard and, and start have an impact on these sea lines, mm -hmm. for God's sake. Yeah. It, we're, you know, David Trout and I had this conversation last year when he was back in studio. Look, the Orca Task Force is great. The 50 million uh, Chinook smolts that we wanna add throughout Puget Sound and some of the net pen projects that are going uh, year in and year out now, out of mm -hmm. central Puget Sound and south Puget mm -hmm. Sound and the hatchery and all, it's all great. But if we're, all we're doing is putting more smolt out there for the for the you know Puget Sound seals and the harbor mm -hmm. seals and gray seals to consume, yep. we're just feeding the machine and we're not accomplishing the goal. Yep. Right. So I, know, I hear you. That's a whole totally different subject, but uh, they they're so too connected. You just can't you know talk about one without the other. Um, interesting developments as it would be to our steelhead opportunities here in Gray's Harbor. So something I picked up on a little bit ago, Tommy, was that WDFW has a page of information that you can go to if you Google WDFW Coastal Steelhead In-Season Indicators. There's a page that comes up. James Losey and staff have developed this information, this page to navigate through. They had it up and kind of going last year as any new program. They're kind of working through the hurdles and stuff. This year they have it out there for public scrutiny and for you to look in on, and it's pretty compelling. They're actually checking a, a couple or a few of the fish traps throughout the Grays Harbor region of where they track and capture numbers of fish and they document those and are keeping track to see how the return is performing. Now it's no uh, secret that um, we have not fished on these steelhead for the last two seasons. Right. This one trap in particular is exclusively on the Wainucci. This is what we're gonna focus on tonight. Because as you know, when we were talking about steelhead fishing and trying to craft seasons, I was besides myself trying to understand why we couldn't fish the Wainucci in the Satsa. Right. As far as targeting steelhead on tributaries. So here is a trap on the Wainucci. And this is the performance of that trap so far this year. It will continue into June 
based on up until when the fish no longer continue to show and the summer runs start showing up. So um, as, as documented here, um, December on the Wainucci, and again, it's not running 24-7 because of high water events, so it's only capturing a sampling. But this is a sample, and this even makes my argument more compelling. Right. Okay. Right. And you're you're going to get into the numbers in a second, but I think so. You look you look at those numbers, and then you say we've had dismal opportunity given to us. You know, steelheading has been all but shut down. Shut right? down. Um, yeah. And and so opportunity is is small. And if you remember right, we've had we had a, an agreed to fishery that said we could fish coho through December. Right. Correct. And the last was, two years. And then that was taken away from us. Last two years. Due to steelhead encounters. Impacts, right? yes, and encounters. Okay, right. and I think you're gonna you're gonna show those numbers again and you're gonna break it down for us about how ridiculous this is and why we really should have a fishery. Yep, so we uh, as you as you reminded all of us, yes, we were shut down to steelhead fishing and we also lost the agreed to fishery on our coho opportunities. Mm -hmm. If we look at December and January as a sampling, okay, as a sampling, um, there there you have 25, 26 fish, wild fish in the trap for the month of December and January, okay? If you recall when we were talking about trying to create a season, I was all about, hey, let's see if we can't go after those hatchery fish in December, January and the Wainucci and the Satsup. What's that gonna look like? How many fish are we truly gonna encounter? Yeah. This is an indicator here. I look at that and say, hey, uh, 25 fish over the two months, wild fish. I mean, we, we could look at the, the hatchery numbers and go, gosh, we got a thousand something fish that we should be able to go after. So the, the key here, I wanna, I wanna say that this number of 25 fish over two months uh, represents say 25%. I'm just throwing it out there. Let's say that represents 25% of the actual fish uh, that are there, okay? Yep. So if that's true, so for the months of December, January, we can look at 100 fish, Yep. okay? Let's be real lucrative in our efforts, in our abilities as recreational anglers. Let's say we catch 50 of those fish. Right. So we have a two month span. We're targeting coho in December right. and steelhead. We're targeting steelhead in January and we have uh, 100 fish that are getting passed through the river, and we've caught 50 of them, because we're that good. Wild fish. Wild, wild fish. fish. We've encountered yep. and captured and released 50 wild fish. Yeah. Um, now, the 10% mortality rate that's uh, associated to our handlings of fish, yep. that means we're gonna kill five wild fish in the Wainucci yep. over the months of December, January. Mm -hmm. Now look, other studies have indicated, and other programs have indicated it's less than 2%, less than 3%. Right. We actually have a system here in Washington State that they utilize a 3% mortality rate. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's land at a soft five. Let's just say five, yeah. Let's just split the difference, 5%, right. right? So out of those five fish we've, uh, out of those 50 50. fish that we've handled, we have a 5% mortality rate, it means we're gonna kill 2.5 fish. Yeah. Two months of fishing, removing hatchery steelhead out of the Wainucci, we right. might accidentally kill 2.5. Right. Okay. Yep. And so, you know, with that information, that's, that's, and even, I mean, you were very conservative in your numbers, right? I think so. So no matter, no matter how you slice it, you are going to have a very minimal impact. Again, mm -hmm. focusing in on December and January, right? Yeah. Because that's, that is really the very early part of that wild run. But at the same time, you look at your hatchery fish numbers and you're pushing up over 600, right? 
from the trap. Now multiply that by however many are actually in the system. And so there's definitely an opportunity here to fish December and January without impacting the wild run, I think is that that's your point. And so, you know, and then the question going forward is, well, okay, so we have this data now. Mm -hmm. Are we going to continue to just make assumptions about, you know, the, the data? Or are we actually going to use the data that we're seeing to give an opportunity uh, to the recreational folks? And then, you know, I think when we talked about this um, probably almost a year ago now, it was the reason was that we couldn't have an opportunity was, well, we don't have the funds. We don't have the people. We don't have boots on the ground mm -hmm. to actually check the boats, to check anglers, mm -hmm. to, to see, you know, how much fish they were actually catching. Mm -hmm. I mean, in my mind, this is, this is all the data that you need. You've got real data right here. Right. So are we going to use it or are we going to continue to make other assumptions? So it's a it's a sampling, obviously. Right. And my numbers are the numbers I uh, put to that sampling model just to kind of extrapolate that out and see what kind of picture it paints. And is it factual? Is it uh, is it just all hype? You know, I talked, James Losey called me and we had a great discussion. I appreciated him reaching out and let me know that this was being updated weekly and some indicators that they're keying in on. And, you know, in his words, hey, you know, if, uh, if, it, all, if it all factors out in the models and we can recognize our impacts are going to be this extremely low, mm -hmm. then by all means, you know, if we have agreed to fisheries for coho, and we can look at the timing of these runs, of which they kind of had indicators before because they had those graphs that intersected mm -hmm. mid-February. was kind of that intersection of where the uptick of wild fish began to get to a level where the downturn of the hatchery return intersected. And that's mm -hmm. kind of like your mid-February point where you got to start thinking about pulling the plug. Yep. But that tells me we have eight to 10 weeks of opportunity. Right. And in that time frame, specific to that one river, we have a couple thousand fish, hatchery fish, yep. that we should be going after because we don't want to give more fodder to the Wild Fish Conservancy folks. Right. We don't exactly. want people coming after right. with lawsuits to WDFW. And I don't want the commission asking questions on if we're not fishing on these fish, then why are we raising them? Right. All those concerns yep. you and I talked about last season. Exactly. So... I see it as the impacts are low. I also had a great conversation with Mike Scharf, who puts in a lot of time and effort to, to tabulate these numbers. Do, him and his staff do all the uploading of the information uh, that you can go look at. The interesting thing here, too, is the wild fish average in the trap for the last five years has been 111 fish. That's for the season. Mm -hmm. Right now, they're at 127, and he told me that they have 40% of the run still to arrive. Okay. Anticipating. Yeah. Now, will it materialize or not? That's yet to be seen. They continue to run the trap, like I had mentioned, into June when it presents a zero. There's no more wild fish showing up. Okay, we're done. Uh, what's our total? I asked him to, uh, to uh, keep me informed. Calculate that out as far as it goes till you hit zero. What's that going to look like? 145 fish, 150 fish, 135 fish? We don't know, right? Yeah. But whatever that number is, if you can also gather the data from the co-managers in the, in the previous three years prior to shutdowns to see what their in-river catch was in their, in their uh, gillnet fisheries while targeting hatchery fish, what their encounters are for the wild fish. Mm -hmm. And then remove that number out of your total from this year when we've had no fishing whatsoever. Right. I think it gives you a good indicator of percent impact yep. and where that percent of impact of wild fish are truly going. Mm -hmm. 
because our impact as recreational fishers, I got to tell you, I'm I'm on the entire, I'm no longer on a fence at all. It's like I'm standing firm on ground to say mm. it's not us. It's a lot of other things, and we do, we know, and by right, they have a right to fish. They are removing some of the wild component mm -hmm. from the equation. I'm just curious what that percentage is and what that number is. Right. As it reflects on a season now where there's been no, no pressure by any user group, right? Yep. And we all have to work together to stave off those wild fish. And so if we're talking about earlier net sets uh, in that run timing, December only or mid-January, and then they're done so they don't impact the wild fish as they start ticking. I mean, this is useful data in the trap to, for run timing. Yep. And I think yeah. it's important. So yep. you can find this data available. It's public information. Uh, I tip my cap to James and, and Mike and the, and, the, and the crew there, Region 6. They're doing the work to try and, whether you guys you know, want to fight them or not, I mean, it's, they're doing the work to try and get us back on the water, and hopefully we can go after these hatchery steelhead. So, um, wow, went by awful quick. Great, uh, great bit of information tonight. Yeah, no shortage of information, that's for sure. <laughs> it, <clears throat> Every week we got so much going on, it's hard to keep up. Uh, okay, posted all the information for the Kids Fish Derby on our Facebook page, all detailed out. Um, yes, fish, uh, fish Pond at this facility is gonna be there, 250 fish, kids five and under, <coughs> Mission Outdoors involved. Just uh, all types of great uh, opportunity there. More information on that to come, but so before we get there and meld it all together, let's just get out this weekend. Hopefully the weather is conducive. Get the little little kids out, get them on the water, catch some trout, have a great family mm -hmm. outing, and uh, make a weekend of it, and uh, have Heck a great yeah. time. Any final words? Man, I'm just glad to be healthy for once. Hopefully this will last more than a week. Um, yeah, I would like to see we'll you back see. here. I'd like to see you back here next yeah. week. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, but we're not, we're not going to be here next week. We're going to be out and about. Oh, right? we don't. Yeah. So don't freak out. We do have a show next week. We don't have a live show. We got a pre-record. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. Some fishing over there on the east side that we put together. Thanks to Matt Messing and his amazing editing skills nowadays, Tommy. So uh, we will be out and about. We got some clamming to do next week. We got some walleye to go catch. We got some triploids. We got some turkeys to shoot. We yeah. got a busy week yes, of on the water, in the woods, and filming to bring you guys content down the road. So thanks for the reminder. Yeah, you bet. No live show next week, but you're going to want to tune in because we got some great, great uh, content coming your way. All right, that's going to do it for us this week here in the studio again get out there this weekend enjoy get those kids out have an excellent time be safe and we'll see you in a couple weeks right back here in the studio right here fish on northwest hey thanks for joining us here on the fish on northwest weekly podcast i want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our facebook page and of course our youtube channel every thursday evening at 6 p.m west coast time You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram, and finally, Go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.